If Robin Williams would be the best skipper on the Jungle Cruise, then Klaus Kinski would be the worst. This is Aguirre, the Wrath of God. Welcome, hey, one and all, to Seen and Heard. This is the podcast where two industry professionals, aka mm. assistants, thank you, talk about the sight and sound top 100 greatest films of all time list. I'm Greg. I'm joined by my co-host Jackie. Hello. And actually, today marks kind of a special occasion because this happens to be our 25th episode. Wow. Um, I guess not not counting our introduction, like our 15 minute introduction episode. This is our 25th film that we've done for the podcast. Happy quarter episode anniversary! Yeah, it's special, right? It is. Maybe I should have opened some champagne or something. Maybe. <laughs> this is Too our first milestone. Now. It's our first milestone. Yeah. yeah, it is. It is. And it, it feels really great to be here. I'm, I'm very grateful. And it's been really fun. Yeah. No complaints. Did you think we would uh, get to 25? Yeah. I thought so, too. We'll see about 50. <laughs> see about 50. Uh, What's been like... Your fa- is it bad to ask what's been your favorite so far? But it can't be something that you've already that you had already loved before we started doing this. I mean, not to sound totally like pretentious, but I, most of these movies I had seen before. Um, I guess Earrings of Madame Duh still stands out. <laughs> I know we, we talk about that one off mic because it's so good. <laughs> I'd seen that before, but I didn't care about it, and I forgot about it. It was uh-huh. years ago, That's and then fair. revisiting it for that episode, like uh-huh. it was such a delight. Yeah, that was a it good. It really one. was. Yeah. It really was. Any of the Archer stuff, while I already loved it, was great to go through. It's great some, to talk about, huh? Yeah, it was yeah, great to was, talk about. Yeah. And we're both like equally as enthusiastic with Powell and Pressburger, yeah. so that's been fun. Oh, speaking of, did you hear about, I think Martin Scorsese is producing a Powell and Pressburger documentary. No, really? It was like a few weeks ago. Yeah. No, I didn't yeah. know that. That's yeah. super cool. Yeah, that should be fun. Well, it's in the right hands with Marty. Yeah. Him and Thelma Shoemaker. You know, yeah. God, I always forget that. Yeah, Michael Powell's widow. Yeah, is mm-hmm. Martin Scorsese's editor, Thelma Schumacher. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of... It's been like the Powell Presper. It's been like Colonel Blimp, I want to say. <laughs> okay, three-way, probably like a three-way tie between Colonel Blimp, Ali Fear Eats the Soul, and Madame Duh. <laughs> mm, Ali, nice. Yeah, I loved yeah. it. Yeah, the... It's funny when doing this podcast, there are episodes that we look forward to more than others, you know, because obviously outside of the personal print series, like we're not choosing these movies, we're going mm-hmm, up the list. Mm-hmm. And so there's some that we're maybe you can tell in our voices, we're a little bit more excited <laughs> to talk about than others. Um, something like Battleship Potemkin, you know, was again, the movie has a lot of merit, but it's not like I woke up that morning being like, oh, I get to talk about Battleship Potemkin later. Like, I'm so excited. <laughs> so, you know, there's ebbs and flows. But of course. <laughs> should we say our least favorite? That we've... I don't know. I know what I can say. Actually. Go for it. The Searchers. Oh, probably same. Yeah. I'm trying to think. What else? I really like Man with the Movie Camera. I mean... You did. You went hard on that one. I like... I like Intolerance. I'm trying to think of the homeworky ones. I liked Battleship. Searchers made me kind of mad, but it was still entertaining, kind of. Like, 
maybe searchers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, even then I don't like I don't hate the searchers. I just don't like it that much. I don't think it's that great. I think it's I super think, overrated. I think so too. You're you're totally right. Yeah. To be number four on the was it four? Was it five? It was somewhere up there Six really or high. Seven. Yeah, it was in definitely in the top That's seven crazy. somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was six or seven. But yeah. Well, we, I look forward to all these great movies ahead. Same. Not just on the list, but on, on our personal print series. Last week we did Brazil, which I was super excited. Talk about waking up excited to talk about, do a specific episode. That right. one I was like over the moon. I was so excited to do that one. It was really fun. Um, so yeah, this week we're back. Uh, this is number 90. So it's mm-hmm. another tied for 90. The last one we did that was uh, was Matter of Life and Death. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. We're yes. at the bottom of the list this yeah, week. Yeah, we're back at the bottom. Um, so this is... Tell the people what we do. We ping pong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In case you didn't know, we ping pong back and forth. So yeah, <laughs> we do a movie from the top of the list and then the bottom of the list. We work our way towards the center. This week we're at the bottom. Uh, and of course, Sight and Sound is weird. They have a bunch of ties. This is another tied 90. I think the the next movie after this, or you know, two movies from now, uh-huh. two episodes from now, will also be number it's 90. still, okay. I think there's three ties for 90. You can see, by the way, the entire list on our website. I mean, you could just Google Sight and Sound Greatest Films of All Time, but you can also find it on our website, which is just seenandheardpod.com. And that's seen, the word, and heardpod.com. Yeah. Not an ampersand. We have a whole tab there where we, we have indeed. the list written out. We do indeed. And there's a neat little check mark next <laughs> to each of the movies that we've already done. So that's fun. It is. <laughs> One of my favorite things is putting a check mark after every week when I get to put it's a so check mark. It's so satisfying, right? It's so satisfying. Um, yeah, if you haven't checked out our website, check it out. And also, we'd love to hear from you. If you have questions, you have comments, you just want to say, hey, drop us a line. You can either find us on our website or if you email us, we're just hello at seenandheardpod.com. Mm-hmm. So send you know, send us a note. Drop us a note. Do it. Yeah. So, Jackie. What have you been watching this last little bit? <laughs> I say a little bit just because our last episode was a, was a personal Prince episode and we don't do the whole what have you been watching segment on those episodes, I guess, so that we dedicate those, a little more time to talk about the, the films themselves. That and also those exist on their own. Yeah. Those exist um, out of time. <laughs> yeah, I like exactly. to think about them like that. Yeah. Um, but what have I been watching? Well, okay, so two weeks ago, we went and saw, well, actually three, <laughs> since you guys are listening to this next week, uh, I went and saw Memoria with you. Mm. <laughs> Sounds familiar. Um, yeah, the new movie from the Thai filmmaker, who, who we called Joe. Yes. Uh, because I'm not going to attempt. <laughs> I think I did attempt on one episode to pronounce his name, and I made a fool of myself. <laughs> but Joe made a fantastic movie. Um I totally buy, like now, I totally get this whole refusal to not ever have it. Like the film itself, if you guys don't know, is never going to be available to stream and it's never going to have like a home release either, like a Blu-ray release, right? So this is what they said because Neon has the US rights. Something happening? No, no. So Neon just has domestic rights for the US. And I actually just heard today. No! I was going to text you, um, but I figured I'd save it for the podcast, that in the UK, this is coming out on Blu-ray in like July. Oh my <laughs> God, that sucks. No, it's amazing because now I can Why? actually own it. 
No. Because there's too much pressure. Like in that screening, I was trying to take like every, I was trying to drink I was it all too. in. I was too. Like, this might be my only chance to see this movie. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's coming out in the UK. So for those of you who have a region free Blu-ray player mm. or region B, it is coming out in the UK in July. So I will definitely be on that so I can watch okay, it. Okay, but you okay, but listen, like it makes so much sense to see it in a movie theater. Oh, of like, actually. Yeah. And we did. We did our part. We saw it in the theater. You know, I watched Uncle Boon Me at home. It's all right. Like the... I watched Uncle Boon Me at home. Yeah. Uh, but it, yeah, it very much is like this mystical ride. And it's very much in line with Uncle Boon Me. A lot of the same themes of like um, reincarnation and different lives. And it was great. I mean, we saw it at like. 10 o'clock at night and it's a two and a half hour movie where really like nothing really happens a lot of sounds incredible sounds but nothing happens i mean in the sense that i'm just saying like i (laughs) so and it was like so cold in the theater like i was so freezing it needs to be cold and then this guy to our left was snoring like full (laughs) on snoring within the first 10 minutes Oh, and it opens with this really great kind of prelude. Like it's like a, it's just ten minutes of um, silence. It's still photo. It's, it's like still slides photos? almost. Yeah, it's slides yeah. And, yeah. Uh, of South America. Yeah, and there's like like writings and drawings like on the slides. Yeah, it was it but was really neat. Spe- it specifically says like take this ten minutes to just drink. Yes, the silence. Enjoy the silence because the movie is yeah. so centered around noise, sound, which is and honestly genius. Great. because yeah. The, the 10 minutes of silence when the film does start oh my god it, it just makes every sound you hear that much more impactful mm, it was almost scary yeah i loved it, it i was, really yeah, loved it was it. great it was kind of everything i had hoped and expected his a new film from him to yeah. be. yeah it's like yeah. this is what i came here for to just sit and drink in this beautiful atmosphere and just and let it did. wash over me we did I just we really wish, did i just wish we saw it at like 9 p.m rather than 10 i actually argue that's that it's like my witching hour i argue that 10 o'clock and i get tired too but i i argue that 10 o'clock was perfect for that movie yeah because imagine i mean i get what you're saying about nine but imagine seeing that movie during the day no like, i can't. wouldn't want to see it during the day you can't. yeah you have to have the magic of night wash over you first before you can enter into that world yes so what else have you been watching <laughs> oh really quick i did see the northman and yeah you're right to way too much testosterone just, <laughs> yeah. it's a movie like it's literally there's no other way i can describe it it's just like yeah it's a movie <laughs> i i don't want to sound like dumb but i don't know I mean, it was fun. Like, whatever. I went to the movies with my friends. We saw this, like, crazy action movie. But I don't... I mean, I don't really have much to say about it. But I also, like, reincarnation, different lifey. I did see The Double Life of Veronique. Okay. By uh, Kieslowski. And it is 20 out of 10. Beautiful. Like it is. Have you seen it? You know what? That's you one of the right? only big Kieslowski movies that I have not seen. So I've been on a binge of his recently because I just I freaking love him. Like he's so good. Yeah. He, he like really taken too soon. It's truly a tragedy that we lost him so young because he is an absolute genius. And it's just one of those movies that it, it's constantly surprising you. It is look. Its look is like beautifully moving it has these like filters and it's just ugh, it's gorgeous it really really is and i obviously this is true of like any great work of art but i truly believe that it's one of those movies that like based on who you are and what you're going through 
you see a completely different movie and the epiphany is like so gentle but like overwhelming it's great i need you to see it i need to see it's it. it's about so that's what, like it's about so many things that based on whoever's watching it like you're gonna have a completely different moment of enlightenment and catharsis it's ugh. oh i can't wait to see it's it. so good <laughs> i love it honestly probably my favorite movie of his wow hey i've heard like, that i from love people. blue yeah. i love blue but oh, like blue. And red. No, Did you see red? Red is great. Yeah. yeah. Um, I also really like white. I love everything of his. That's he's one of those guys where it's like, yeah. I really Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> everything is great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you should see it because it is beautiful. Anyway, what have you been watching? A lot, so I'm gonna whittle it down. I saw a movie, a British movie, I think it's a made-for-TV film. I could be wrong. It's from the early 70s called The Amazing Mr. Blunden which is completely unknown in the States, but has kind of a cult following in the UK. And Mm -hmm. it kind of follows in the British ghost stories for Christmas tradition. Mm, um, You love those. I love. (laughs) I try to make it a, you know, when I have kids, I'm going to try to do that like Christmas Eve. All right, guys, it's time to watch our British uh, ghost stories for Christmas. They're going to hate you. You know, you need some like sourness to, to balance out all the sweet. But anyway, so it's kind of like in that tradition, but this one's a little sweeter and a little more aimed at kids basically about two kids that go to this uh, move into this old mansion and the ghosts of the prior kids come to visit them. Uh, but it's all very friendly and the kids just, the kids were basically killed and they want the new kids, the living kids to go back in time with them to try to avoid them getting killed. Um, but it's, it's all, it sounds darker <laughs> than it is. It's, it's, if you guys could see my <laughs> face right now. It's really light. It was, it was I'm fun. It was a good time. Worried about your kids. Uh, I also <laughs> saw the hero, the Sayajit Ray movie oh. we did for the film club. Mm-hmm. And I have this to say, this very controversial statement. It is, it is basically his response to eight and a half in a lot of ways. Like, I don't think he saw eight and a half and went, okay, I'm going to like just do my own mm-hmm. version. But in so many ways, this is his eight and a half. Mm-hmm. I like it more than eight and a half. Wow. Yeah. It's fair. really great. If you haven't seen it, oh my God. Uh, I also saw a movie called The Coca-Cola Kid with Eric <laughs> Roberts. Uh, you did? I did. And it's. I don't even want to explain the plot. All, the, all you need to know is the poster is Eric Roberts with his shirt off holding a glass bottle of Coca-Cola while he has his arms around this naked woman. Great. <laughs> so I thought it was going to kind of be this like uh, bizarre 80s comedy, which it was, except it wasn't funny and it wasn't good and it oh, wasn't bizarre God. enough. So I actually did not like that one. And then lastly, I just want to say, uh, last night I watched The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance for the first time. Oh my time. gosh, that's been on my list for so long. So I'm here to tell you, good movie (laughs) we just talked about the searchers and um i I like john ford outside of the searchers i think the searchers is a really underwhelming movie it's just so weird that that's like his most famous man shot liberty valance was made a few years after the searchers it's in black and white it's very intimate it's very contained it all takes place in this small town uh john wayne is a supporting character and the lead is jimmy stewart Mm -hmm. who's who is liberty valance uh lee marvin Oh, I thought it was one of them. No, I don't know. Okay. They're kind of friends in the movie, but... Did the song come out before the movie okay. or after? So here's the thing. I grew up with that song. Me that's, too. That's a Burt Bacharach, Gene Pitney song. Yeah. And I always assumed, because that song's very goofy, right? And yeah. I was like, oh, I, I pictured the movie in my head. Like, okay, John Wayne and Jimmy Stewart, they're like slapping each other's asses and the song is playing. <laughs> 
No, it's actually a very stark, you know, quiet kind of like oh, cool. smart movie. But the so I found out the song does not appear anywhere in the movie. And I found out that while they were recording the song, they got word that the movie had just been released. And like, oh, okay. So the song was kind of just released as like its own thing. Okay, it had nothing to do with the movie. But it was a big hit. The song was a big hit. But Well, the song it was commissioned the like for the movie. Yeah. The movie is that the plot of the movie? Honestly, it's been so long since, since I, you heard the song. Since I heard the song Same. and I like listened to the lyrics. All I, just I remember the first... is the man who shot Liberty Valencia. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the gun goes off. Yeah. Um, no, I'm sure it is kind of like the rough plot. But it's so funny. It, it just reminded me um, why, like, I like John Wayne, or not, sorry, not John Wayne. I like John <laughs> Ford when he's contained. Yeah. And he's doing, it's just, it all takes place in one town and it's a black and white. It's just very interior. Mm-hmm. And I loved it so much more than The Searchers. Wow. Highly recommend. Honestly, sure. it like cleansed my palate after The Searchers. Okay. Maybe it's like a... <laughs> controversial thing to say but uh no it's not because the searchers is so beloved and on paper i love the searchers i just think the film is just kind of unrewarding and it's too broadly comedic and stuff this was much more it felt more serious i don't know plus you got jimmy stewart as the lead this time john wayne is just the backup so anyway (laughs) (laughs) that's how excited i am for john wayne very excited Anyway, with that said, should we get into this week's film? Let's do it. 1972, Werner Herzog, Aguirre, The The Wrath Wrath of of God. God. The Wrath of God is a 1972 West German film written and directed by Werner Herzog. Cinematography by Thomas Malk. It tells the story of a doomed expedition for El Dorado by Spanish conquistadors in Peru in 1560. The titular character, Don Lope de Aguirre, leads a mutiny against his group's leader, Don Pedro de Ursa. Aguirre, along with his men, his daughter, a completely deluded monk, and several enslaved indigenous people ride down the river on wooden rafts with the hopes of finding El Dorado and eventually overthrowing the Spanish colonists in Peru to claim the entire nation for themselves. The megalomaniacal and murderous Aguirre violently threatens his crew and eventually kills the nobleman he himself chose as monarch for their new Peru. Finally, the party is overcome with starvation, hallucinations, and attacks by natives until Aguirre is the only one left. He drifts on, clutching a monkey while talking of his big plans for power and fame. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what happens. It is. The film stars Klaus Kinski as Don Lope de Aguirre, Ri Guerrera as Don Pedro de Ursa, Del Negro as Brother Gaspar, the monk, and Helena Roya as Inez de Atienza, who is Ursa's mistress. The film was partly produced by a television station, which released the movie on TV the same day that it came out in 1972. Ahead of their time. And, yeah, <laughs> right? Sounds familiar, out. right? Yeah. It's so weird. When I read that, I was really, really surprised. And 
sad. So Herzog basically thinks that's why the movie didn't do that well in Germany. But, you know, it became kind of like an art house classic, a cult favorite pretty instantly. It was very popular in the U.S. and Europe. And um, the film was shot in five weeks in Peru, actually on the Amazon River in the rainforest. The budget was $370,000. Yeah. How wild is that? There was like eight people on the crew. Eight people on the crew walking through the rainforest, sitting on rafts. It was shot on a stolen 35 millimeter camera, which Herzog stole from the Munich School of Film. Good for him. And I'm just like confused at all of this. (laughs) Like how? How did this film happen? How was it made? How? That's Herzog in a nutshell. Right? Yeah. But it was actually really bad like they didn't have enough money for like food for the cast and crew wild crazy um and another fun fact the film was shot in english because that was the only common language between the entire cast and crew um so yeah it was shot in english and then it was dubbed in german but apparently kinski demanded too much money so another actor dubbed all his dialogue Mm -hmm. the lead role (laughs) isn't that weird yeah this is the first of five collaborations between Herzog and Kinski. Uh, in fact, yeah. Herzog, this was his sixth uh, feature, and he was only 28 years old when he made this. Wow. Yeah. That's Do you know about Herzog's uh, upbringing? No, tell me about it. He grew up in the mountains in some mountain village in Germany and didn't see a film until he was like 17 or something. Wow. <laughs> until he like came down from the mountains. <laughs> <laughs> But I love that. And it kind of shows him his work too. of like someone. He's like those filmmakers who who you don't feel a bunch of influences from other films. Like a Herzog film is is pretty pure. Yeah. Because he he's not drawing on all these other movies. And, yeah. You know. But obviously, I mean, like. Like, I, we'll talk about this later, but Apocalypse Now and like Malik, yeah. honestly, like oh, I totally sure. see. Yeah, this movie this, has a wide. Then, yeah. Wide reaching influence. Yeah. But. That's interesting that he had never seen a movie. I love that. I think that that's so cool. Yeah. That's like some different kind of genius. That's like. Yeah. He grew yeah. up like reading and stuff, you know? Lovely. Sounds like a, sounds like a nice childhood. Um, so, you, so Kinski and Herzog were butting heads. This is kind of like part. To I put get, it mildly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he, Kinski thought that Aguirre should be this like really kind of angry and loud and menacing villain, but Herzog didn't want that. And uh, apparently he would make him kind of like scream and get out his jitters before he started rolling the camera. Yeah, he would to say something. To get the something. kind of quiet performance that he got. Exactly. He would say something to Kinski to piss him off. Mm-hmm. And Kinski was known to just rage for like hours. And then once he got it out, then Herzog would shoot the scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then there was like, there's like stories about this basically being held at gunpoint Kinski being held at gunpoint so he doesn't leave the set by Herzog but then Herzog said I never did that but there were all these rumors so I did watch um, in companion to this movie as a companion piece I watched Herzog's documentary My Best Fiend which I had not seen before and it basically details the whole. it's a whole documentary about his relationship with Kinski and how volatile it was that's awesome but essentially there was a breaking point there's so much to their relationship, but there was a breaking point where Kinski was often known to like break theatrical engagements or walk off sets. And this was pretty far into this movie and Kinski was threatening to walk off and Herzog just walked up to him. He's like, if you leave, like there's going to be, I'm going to, I have a rifle back there. And as you're walking away, 
I'm going to put eight bullets in your head and one bullet's going to be in my head after I put them in yours. And then Kinski stayed. Oh, and he said that in the doc. Like yeah. that was confirmed by him. He says that in the him. doc. Yep. So wow. he, uh, basically Kinski is this wild animal that needed to be tamed. But yeah, he was extremely volatile. Uh, such an interesting actor. I mean, he'd been around since the 50s, like he'd been acting since the 50s. Was in a lot of cool like spaghetti westerns in the 60s and stuff and 70s. He's one of my one of my all-time favorite westerns, The Great Silence. But um, and he's in some of the Sergio Leone westerns too. I think he's in for a few dollars more. I could be wrong, but I think that's the one. Um, so their relationship was very, very chaotic, to put it mildly. Kinski was a very volatile, angry person. Herzog literally has called him a monster. <laughs> and Kinski would just scream at everyone around him for, for basically nothing. If he was never the center of attention or if someone said a slightly... Herzog mentions a, a critic writing that Kinski was brilliant in this play and Kinski like threw stuff at him. He's like, I wasn't brilliant. I was outstanding or something like that. So he was, he was a crazy, a crazy fuck. Mm. Um, Not just that, unfortunately, uh, obviously he has a famous daughter, Natasha Kinski, uh, not her, but one of his other daughters uh, after he died had claimed that he had sexually abused her from when she was five until she was like 17. Oh no. So ironic by all accounts, uh kinski was a terrible terrible person damn yeah i mean but he makes you know he is a magnetic screen performance and performer and you can see why um herzog kept putting up with his shit yeah i mean herzog's also a little crazy yeah and i think appreciate i think he he's a the kind of person that gravitates towards uh impossible situations mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. herzog has a film called Fitzcarraldo, also starring i was Kinski, gonna mention which it, yeah. is all about pulling this huge ship over a mountain and w- of which they had to just do in real life yeah like why would he put up with that again kinski in the rainforest <laughs> yeah, <I know>. <laughs> again <laughs> that's crazy yeah so herzog i think both men were drawn to these like impossible situations and uh so yeah they had a very i mean on this movie, it was either um, Aguirre or it was Fitzcarraldo. One of the natives who was helping on the film went up to Herzog and in all seriousness said, like, do you want us to kill Kinski? <laughs> and he's like, no, I guess I guess don't. <laughs> but and Herzog in the documentary, My Best Fiend says, like, even it was like a, a couple films later while they weren't working together. He's like, yeah, I had a plan to like firebomb Kinski's house and like kill him. What? <laughs> yeah. So... There's a lot of history between these guys. And by all accounts, like if you Google Klaus Kinski or you, you know, on YouTube, all these clips come up of him just like shouting at people or being on stage and like yelling at people and calling people pigs. And like, he was fucking crazy out of his mind. Crazy. Wow. Yeah. Well, what are your initial thoughts about this movie? So I'd seen this before. This is like my third or fourth time seeing this. Um, I had a big Herzog phase close to 10 years ago where I hadn't seen any Herzog. And I was like, oh, I'm going to fix that. And I started going through and I saw most of his big films. And of course, this is kind of like the seminal Herzog Mm -hmm. film. I love this movie. Um, As we talked about when we did um, Ali Fierit's The Soul, I love new German cinema. You know, the German cinema of the 70s and going into the 80s is one of my favorite sort of like movements. Mm -hmm. I'm a huge Herzog fan. I'm a huge Wim Wenders fan. I like Fassbender too. Fassbender's a little more hit and miss for me. I think Vendors and Herzog are more interesting. Mm-hmm. It's funny. Again, I think in each of these scenarios, there's a huge piece of shit involved because Fassbender was also yeah. a huge piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
So yeah, I love this movie. I think it's amazing. I think it just gets better each time you watch it. Mm -hmm. I think the first time I saw it, I was expecting a little more from it because it's such a grand premise. Like Mm -hmm. conquistadors go on the search for El Dorado and Mm -hmm. you're like, oh my God, it's like a descent into madness. And I think I was almost expecting something more like Apocalypse Now, which is is heavily influenced by Aguirre. Um, So I think the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, that's it? It's like 95 minutes long. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, sure. I've seen it a couple times since. It's this is what I like to call a pocket epic. <laughs> it's like a 90 minute movie that's able to, f- it feels like an epic. And when yeah. you think back on it, like your recollection is this huge sprawling movie, but mm-hmm. it's 90 minutes. Yeah. And I love those kinds of movies. What did we recently say that about? Oh, Seventh Seal. Yeah. Seventh Seal. Uh, so yeah, I like, I don't know. Yeah, I heard. I I heard Phil Spector used to used to call his movies like pocket symphonies, mm-hmm. and uh, said this is a pocket epic. Well, he had a background in opera. I learned uh, mm-hmm. Herzog. He directed like a bunch of opera. Yeah, yeah. So symphony. Exactly. Um, but no, yeah. so I love the film. I think this is one of the purest Herzog films. I think it's just so iconic. It's hard to watch this movie now. Um, because it's just so every scene is like so kind of like iconic and the image of Kinski with the conquistador outfit and the helmet is mm-hmm. just so iconic. But yeah, this is I love these kind of like low key downbeat movies. And again, the way that Herzog wisely plays Kinski down, whereas Kinski's urge was to go up. Yeah. And play the super huge. Yeah. And isn't it interesting that he ended up being dubbed? So, like, even when he is yelling, that's not even Kinski yelling. I know. Yeah. I think the sort of electronic score by Popova Mm -hmm. uh, is really evocative and really helps the movie. And I just, I mean, again, this is like an, this is a lost era of filmmaking in terms of like actually going to the location, actually yeah. suffering all this extreme exactly. hardship exactly. to make a film. You don't see There's this no anymore. There's a craft service table on <laughs> no. one of those rafts. And I'm not saying it's the way to do it. You know, people have been seriously hurt on Herzog's films. There was a guy, oh. I think so, it was on Fitzcarraldo. Yeah. There was a guy that got bit by a snake on his foot. Oh my God. And the guy just picked up a saw and sawed <gasps> his foot off. Oh my God. Because he knew if he didn't, he would have died. Well, I read that uh, Kinski shot someone, like the tip of someone's finger off yes. during the shoot of this movie, like yeah. some crew member who he was did. making too much noise. Yeah, they were in a hut and yeah. Kinski just fired into the hut. Like what? Like he could have How killed How was he somebody. not arrested? It was the Wild West. It really was. Oh my <laughs> yeah. God. Yeah. The but Wild West, Germany. Exactly. <laughs> in Peru. In Peru. <laughs> um, but yeah, this was actually all shot mostly just outside of Machu Picchu. Yeah. 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 <sighs> so beautiful but yeah this is it's one for the books as they like to say (laughs) anyway how about you what what are your first impressions this is i mean first impressions of this movie it starts like and i mean literal first impressions like when it starts pretty spectacular like it's so beautiful from the start Mm -hmm. i'm kind of obsessed with how it starts where they're the the monk who's like actually a piece of shit but it opens with him saying like in the morning i read mass and then we descended into the cloud and then they're literally walking in a cloud and it's am morgen las ich die messe dann stiegen wir durch die wolken hinab it's so 
just magical. Like, I know that's a simple term, but it really is magical. And I can't believe that they shot this with, like, one camera. And, like, how? Like, what other equipment did they have? Because it's crazy. They're on, like, the other side of the mountain. I mean, I guess it was, like, a zoom lens. But, like, I don't know. It just looks so beautiful. And then, well, I'm not going to talk about it now. Might talk about it later. Another shot that follows. But, yeah, it's... I think the minimalism. Uh-oh. Do we both have the same? Yeah, favorite it's impossible site? not to. It's impossible yeah. not to. I'm calling it now. We do. Um, the minimalism is like so wonderful, and I had kind of you um, kind of prepped me for that. Like you said that this is like a very minimal movie, and it's wonderful. And I think that the fact that this had such a low budget, but it does so many things. You're right. They don't make it like this anymore. They just don't, and it's sad. It really is. Um, yeah, I think it feels longer than it is because of that minimalism and because it's so slow and the scenes kind of mesh together and it just takes its time. Like, and that's why it feels long, even though I don't know, it's, yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah. I loved it. I thought that it was obviously really enthralling and just, I was completely in the whole time. And it's only 90 minutes. Isn't it great when a movie can just completely hold you in its hands? Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And you're watching it and you're like, I'm I'm so invested in what's happening right now. And this movie is just cradling me. And I so completely trust the film to do what it's going to do. Yeah. It's a great feeling. That's what, as a film lover, that's the feeling I'm always chasing is to have a movie just hold you in its arms. Yes. Because it's a rare thing. Yes, it is. Honestly, it's rare and it's that's sad. It is. But it's true. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> I'm just thinking I'm thinking again of the, the double life of Veronique because I've had a similar feeling oh. stronger in that movie. Yeah, yeah. This, but I like it is, yeah, it is rare. Anyway. Um, so do you know that Herzog made like a bunch of this shit up. Like he basically, it's supposedly based on the diary of this brother, Gaspar, who is the monk on this mission. And actually in real life, he was actually a really nice guy. He wasn't like how he was (laughs) depicted in the movie. But it's not as interesting. (laughs) Of course, of course. So he did keep a diary, but he wasn't on this expedition with Aguirre. There were two different expeditions that Herzog kind of meshed together into one. Um, so he wasn't even with him. So the whole thing is made up. The whole di- diary entries, like those are all made up. And actually, Aguirre, do you know what happened to him? No. So he did overthrow Ursa. He did kill Fernando, who is the prince that they, or the emperor that they kind of like reinstate. Um, he did threaten his men. He was a psycho. However, they actually did make it to an island off of Venezuela. Like he didn't die. His crew, did, a lot of the crew did die, but... A group of them actually made it to this island. And found El Dorado. (laughs) (laughs) I wish. No, they actually, they tried to go to the mainland to take it over, but they were obviously stopped by the Spanish authorities. And they told his men, if you guys give in right now, if you surrender, you will all be pardoned. And they all immediately like put down their swords. And before Aguirre was killed, he murdered his own daughter because he didn't want her to be with anyone else. And then he was killed and um, dismembered and they were, um, his parts were publicly displayed. 
Wow. So he didn't just die on a raft holding a monkey. So he was killed by Spain. Yes, like yes. Like they tricked them. Like if you, you'll be pardoned and then they weren't they pardoned. pardoned. They pardoned. They actually pardoned his crew because they were frightened of him. Like they weren't loyal to him. They were literally scared for their lives. So they pardoned the crew and killed him. Killed him because yeah, yeah. he's a psycho. And how he crazy. was the real rebel. Like Yeah, right. He forced everyone yeah. to. Exactly. But how weird that his own that klaus kinski's real life especially with his daughter and stuff like so closely mirrors the right very weird and even in the movie i mean at the end of this movie he says like when he's kind of in his like fantasy holding the monkey he says he's like oh i um if my daughter didn't die i would have married her and we would have started a pure bloodline yeah this gross horrible it's coming straight from his mouth. But yeah, but I love, so like, okay, I, and you know this right now, I'm kind of obsessed with movies where like death is so pre- prevalent and just like everywhere. So, and this one is so much like that. And it's, it's great. Oh, yeah. And it's like, it's covered in death. It's covered in a seven seal kind of way. And even like the chicken cage in the start, I they know. throw that chicken. Was that, was that real? It might've been. Yeah, this is. There's some unfortunate kind of like animal cruelty in this. I'm sure it doesn't go to the extremes of the like tuki uh, buki or anything, oh. but it's still really upsetting. Yeah, yeah. the horse definitely. Yeah, and he, then there's he throws like, the monkey. Yeah. Oh yeah, you're right. I think the monkey would have been okay. Though. I think so. Maybe it landed <laughs> on all fours. Um, yeah, there's just like bodies laying around, and um, the monkey even says like, "Oh." our slaves are like dropping like flies. It's just, it's everywhere. And it, it truly desensitizes you to a point where when he does kill Ursa or when he like randomly orders um, Ursa to be shot, I was like, yeah, of course. Like I wasn't surprised. Yeah. Cause it, I like just from the start and then someone gets caught in a trap, like right before that. And we just see him like in wide being like lifted Blood up dripping down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it made total sense when that happened and I kind of loved it. Yeah. Yeah, and I love when he even starts to have fun with it. So, like, do you remember? It yeah, towards ca- the end. Towards the end, when someone gets shot by an arrow, and he goes, "Oh, the long arrows are fashionable now." Yeah. And then what about the head? The head that, cl- the be- that counts to five or ten or whatever it's counting to. Yeah. Do you want me to play the clip? Yeah, let's play the clip. It's a fun clip. Yeah, so it's a guy that gets his head cut off by Aguirre. By Aguirre's like assistant. And yeah, his name is uh, uh Pachuca or some Palucha. Uh, I think it's Palucha. Uh, so yeah, he's counting, and then this happens. Eins, zwei, drei, vier, fünf, sechs, sieben, acht, neun, zehn. He continues counting even though he's been beheaded. Yeah. Which like I, it's things like that. I've heard that's a thing, too. I think that can happen in real life. Yeah. Actually, I don't even want to look at that. I love how this movie kind of sets you up from the start of like how bad colonialism is. Yes. It's the first title card. It says that the oppressed natives made up El Dorado because yeah, what why did they actually? Cuz it doesn't say why. It just says that they they were oppressed and they made up this myth of El Dorado, maybe to get them off their backs, but then that would just make people want to discover more or maybe just to fuck with them. Like Maybe to fuck with them. Yeah, I loved that. I loved that title and I love how yeah, it really shows the worst side of colonialism. Everything bad about it. Which, I mean, th- yeah, it, it absolutely does. And a lot of the letterbox reviews I read for this were like, "This movie's pro colonialism." I'm like, what? "What movie did you watch?" Not at 
all. You know what? I think people just like to like grab onto something and like or they make a statement even though it's completely not relevant. Like they see something that could potentially be controversial and then they just decide to I don't know or make some shit up about it that's not true or even though yeah it could also be the mindset that if a movie depicts something then therefore the filmmakers are supporting yeah or in favor yeah. of what's depicted yeah. which is why some people thought like wolf of wall street like was scorsese's view. like no it's clearly like a cautionary yeah guys. yeah i mean stupid goodfellas is like that too yeah. like yeah ugh. Anyway. anyway no it is like it really is it makes it worthwhile. It's not just a survival story. It really is a story about, you know, the evil of human domination, not just like dominating other animals and nature, but more so actually human to human subjugation. Like it's yeah. really about that. And it's not just about, it's about the indigenous people, but it's also just about his crew, the way that he needs to have complete control over them. His daughter. It's yeah. It isn't just this like broy survival movie. Absolutely, uh, absolutely not. <laughs> this is not the Northman. <laughs> um, that is a broy revenge movie. Exactly, thank you very much. That's true. Did you know that Herzog? So Herzog has, has like a very interesting relationship with nature. He actually is a na- he loves nature, but he says in quotes against my better judgment. Why? Uh, I'm gonna play a great clip for you of Herzog talking about nature. Okay. Okay. Kinski always says it's full of erotic elements. I don't see it so much erotic, I see it more full of obscenity. It's just, and nature here is vile and base. I wouldn't see anything erotical here. I would see fornication and asphyxiation and choking and fighting for survival and growing and just rotting away. Of course, there's a lot of misery, but it is the same misery that is all around us. The trees here are in misery and the birds are in misery. I don't think they they sing, they just screech in pain. Taking a close look at at what's around us, there, there is some sort of a harmony. It is the harmony of overwhelming and collective murder. Oh my God. So that's Herzog on nature. What a buzzkill. Um, but he's also like a, I guess, like a kind of a conservationist and stuff, which, which is weird because for you years... You see it in the movie. You see it in the movie, but yeah, to him, I'm not just going to say the wilderness, but the jungle, I guess, specifically is mm-hmm. is this... Well, this film, the jungle is a hellscape. Yeah. And unlike the films of like Terrence Malick, who, again, you can you can yeah. feel a lot of um, influence from Herzog. Especially in the opening, I will say. And that is oh, the most for sure. beautiful, calm part. Oh, yeah. yeah. But, you know, Malick is completely in love with nature. Yes. And they're, it's, they're beautiful movies. And this is, uh, this is nature as a hellscape. Yes. I, I like that about it. It's nature as a hellscape, but then it also has these like really beautiful shots of just trees. Yeah. And I think the bird noises, I mean, I'm going to talk about the soundtrack in a bit, but I think they're lovely. I know he thinks that they're screeching out in pain, but I don't think that's true. I think birds sing like to attract other birds. <laughs> like, I don't think they're in pain. <laughs> I'm sure that's him and like the, the center of the madness of like one of his productions. Yeah. I, I think that clip is from uh, Fitzcarraldo. I don't think that was recorded during mm, Aguirre. I see. But. I mean, going back to the character of Aguirre, I I was wondering, like, why didn't he just make himself the emperor when he first? I don't think you. I don't think he could be. 
Why? I think he wanted it specifically. He wanted to choose like, someone that was very like weak willed and, um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe because it would be too. Yeah, I, I honestly don't think that he could be. Mm. Well, I think but that, yeah, yeah, he gets pretty, uh, pretty uh, Hitlery in the end there oh, with yeah. his uh, pure race. Yep. But it's, I mean, it's expected, right? This is like a West German film. Yeah. <laughs> made in the seventies, but yeah, I mean. It is really interesting that, like, I like how he made it up. Like, he made up that ending of the daughter dying, but it still has that sting of the real Aguirre's, like, actual intentions Mm -hmm. with his daughter. Yes. So it was, yeah. Every scene he has with his daughter is very creepy. Very creepy. Oh, don't worry. The horse is okay. Yeah. (laughs) What is that first animal that he's showing to her that he's like, this animal is always half asleep? You know, I don't know what the name of that animal is. But have you seen the movie Road to El Dorado? It's a DreamWorks movie. Yes, yes but a long time ago. It So I rewatched it during COVID. It's bad. Is it's it bad? not good, which is really sad because Elton John did the music. The uh-huh. music is so good. I like grew up with that music. It was Kevin Klein, Kevin and, Klein Kenneth and Kenneth Branagh. Yeah. But that animal makes an appearance in that movie. Oh, and it's tongue it's is like just hanging like a out. Raw, it's that Some like roly poly type of thing. Mm. Anyway, movie's bad. <laughs> <laughs> that honestly breaks my heart. Which too, is right? sad, right? Because I remembered it being like good, except like Cortez is in it, like the Cortez, and he's actually a maniac. Like it, wow. it actually depicts him as like this evil villain, which is great. Wow. But uh, that's how you can tell it's DreamWorks and not Disney, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe it'd be fun to to pair El, um, Road to El Dorado <laughs> with Aguirre it would and be. watch Road to El Dorado afterwards. <laughs> it would be, it would be. But yeah, I mean, the hypocrisy of the church is really bad in this movie. Like, I was shocked at Brother oh, Gaspar. For sure. He yeah. is, yeah, he's, he's disgusting. He really, really is. Yeah. I mean, that line he says about the church is always on the side of the strong. Like that was bad yeah he's he's bad oh yeah he's trash i I do i i have like real respect when they they take those two natives in the canoe and he like shakes the bible and he's like i don't hear anything and he drops it like blasphemy kill him it's so horrible they fucking kill him how does how is this movie pro-colonialism i know but also the emperor the guy who's appointed emperor for that short term as they're on the raft he just says like i now take possession of oh my god so funny and that's hilarious i wrote down what he says are you ready he wrote he says i solemnly and formally take possession of all this land like what an idiot you're literally just like (laughs) drifting through it you're not even like you're not even stopping and like putting up like a sign that says yeah i claimed this i claimed this like you're just drifting through it just shows how stupid colonialism is yes yes but yeah, that 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 guy in the canoe killed me when he when he shook the Bible and and then gets killed for it. Poor guy, I know. <laughs> Honestly, I that so guy, bad. he wasn't even trying to be funny. It's just it's a language he wasn't. Barrier. It's yeah. Like, oh, this Bible is the word of God, so he holds it up to his ear to yeah. see if he can hear he something. Yeah, he said I don't like, hear anything. Through a seashell. Yeah, and then gets it's killed so for sad. it. And the woman's killed too. I know. Oh, and like when they're trying, um, they're doing the trial for Ursa, and they're like the yeah, brother Gaspar goes like, okay, um according to the jury you're found guilty but i'm like what jury there was no jury he literally just made it up yeah, like yeah. it's all these people just playing 
kingdom. Yes, like, exactly. That's exactly yeah. what it's a bunch of little kids playing, playing kingdom. kingdom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's so ridiculous. How about, I love the scene where that raft gets caught. In that, oh, yeah, it, yeah. Because it's kind of the first instance that you get where you you understand what, what you're dealing with here and like who Aguirre really is because the raft gets caught and the guys are stuck and they're just going around in circles and Aguirre gets very impatient. It's like, let's just move on. Yeah. Like, no, we're going to stop here. We're going to stay overnight. We're going to try to help them. Yeah. And of course, has them killed mm-hmm. and then they're killed and then they still won't move on. Like, no, we have to give them a proper burial like in consecrated ground. And they're still about to go over there. And then he blows them up with a cannon. Wait, did he kill them? I thought like natives killed them. No, no, no. Oh, I don't. I think he had them killed. Really? I think. they had arrows. They had arrows. I think they made it look like it was natives. It could be. You know what? Actually, it could have been natives. I don't know. Um, It's kind of mysterious because you don't really see what happens. But then he has his his like right hand man shoot the cannon that like blows up the raft so that they can't even bury them. Do you like how he like talks in code? What yeah. does he say? The cannon is getting rusty and yeah. he's like on it boss and then that guy is one head too tall on it boss. Also that guy just goes la 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 la. Yeah, he's so weird. <laughs> yeah, he's a creep. It's a rapist or about to be rapist. Like he's very creepy. The energy he gives off to the the guy's uh, like girlfriend or mistress or whatever. Yeah, yeah, He's very creepy. Yeah, but yeah, it's it goes to show too because in that scenario, right, where they they want to spend all this extra time to like bury these bodies, it shows how ridiculous religion is. Of like, okay, so you're gonna waste a whole another day to like go get all those bodies, like retrieve them and and pull them yeah. somewhere and bury them when it's like. Everyone is struggling to survive. Like, you should just move on. So it's like everyone in this party just has the most ridiculous beliefs. And it's it. that's why it's being torn in so many directions. Until Aguirre, until he overthrows and takes charge. Yeah. Um, Ursa's death is really sad. Like, it's, it's another thing. It was, like, so not sensitive. It's literally just, like, him being hanged. You in know, wide like you know about it too so it's, it's interesting quiet because he's shot early on and you're like yes. oh he's gonna die no he surprising. hangs in there it's surprising he hangs in honestly yeah. that the mistress of his i'm calling it that because that's what they call her in the movie uh the mistress of his like really must take good care of him because he stays alive yeah he's conscious uh and then when they when the emperor dies the one who pardoned him and like okay we're gonna go kill him and you mm-hmm. see them in that canoe and they're taking him off into the in the jungle I thought that that was in my memory. I'm like, okay, that's all you see. Cause then the narration is like, and we never saw him again, but then you actually get this whole scene of them putting the noose around his neck and hoisting him up. in this very like, yeah, it's a very real way. The way he's hanged. It is very dramatic. He just gets like slowly hoisted up. Yeah. Yeah. It is a really good scene. And you know, you know, related that's like, I, I love that moment because it kind of intercuts with, her, her name is Inez, the mistress. It intercuts with just Inez. a shot of her from the back. And then we're back with him in the canoe about to be executed. It's it's these beautiful, like, still quiet moments. And we haven't mm. talked about that yet. Yeah. Just the stillness of this movie. The stillness of these moments. The soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Like, and I mean, like, the actual soundtrack. Not, like, the music. It, the music is also really, I mean, hypnotic. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah, I, I love those super slow, quiet moments. And most of the movie is made up of those, you know, like yeah. 
it's so simplistic, but it, it it truly is just like stripping the literal and hypothetical noise and action. You strip it all away, and what are you left with? You're left with these characters' minds and their feelings, mm-hmm. and it's so genius. Yeah, but it's so simple. And yeah, I mean, some of my favorites, like just the raft on the river at the start when it's like really quiet. The horse when they kick the horse off of the raft oh God, because he's being too loud. But then you get that amazing moment it's almost like a bad omen where he's just staring at them he's made it to the shore and he's just staring at them that that is the saddest shot of the movie to me (laughs) because that's sad but i also see it as kind of like he's like cursing them you think he's cursing them? yeah yeah i I think the horse has the upper hand (laughs) because he's he's made it to shore there's plenty of greens for him to eat there's plenty of water for him to drink he'll be fine that's true but that horse has been raised domestically (laughs) that horse is being raised being fed and stuff you know what i mean yeah yeah and yeah i don't know maybe the horse just like in its outfit because it has this whole like headpiece on and it just like comes ashore and it's just standing there staring at them as they drift away (laughs) no he has the upper hand you know what i bet that horse like lives along and yeah fulfilling i agree i agree but they even say it in the movie they go i forget what what part they're talking about but they say like it got quiet and then every something bad always happens when it gets quiet. Do you remember like one of the characters yeah. says that? And, and that's what happens in the movie. I love it. It always happens. What about there's this one part where they see this like they're they're looking at the shore and they see movement and then there's like a group of natives there, but they it's quiet. Yeah, they don't it's move at all. It's completely quiet. And then a few more appear. It is so unsettling yeah. and the so effective. Right? Yeah. Yeah, it's so good. And I then, love when they go to the camp. They they go to the village and they scare them off with like the, the guns and stuff in the cannon and they slowly realize that it's a village of cannibals because they see bones and like yeah. arms and skulls and stuff. And that's another great quiet moment for me. That's when Inez just walks into the forest, yes. right? I love oh that my God. moment. That's really powerful. It is so good. I love how she is not like theatrical at all she kind of keeps her cool the whole time and igiri really like he's surprisingly like not that mean to her i guess not he's really not (laughs) i don't know if he's like scared of her (laughs) yeah (laughs) like it's funny because in real life klaus kinski was notorious for being really nice to like beautiful women oh okay because in that documentary they interview like claudia cardinale and stuff and she's like yeah he was nothing but like super nice to me (gasps) She's in that movie. What's it called? The other one in the forest. The other one in the forest. The other Herzog movie with Kinski. Oh, in the uh, forest. Fitzcarraldo. Yeah, the Claudia Cardinale is in it, right? <laughs> yes. The forest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She's in it. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, that was a thing. He was super nice to a lot of his like female co-stars. Mm, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, I guess that's good, but also, I don't know. Um, I love the guy who plays the flute and I love his quiet moment that where he just like stares at the camera. So that was a real, obviously all the natives in this movie were just like locals and stuff. And that guy actually left his village to be in the movie to play that flute. And he was afraid that if he left that his, his village was like going to be cursed or something, but he came anyway. So the film's actually dedicated to him. Incredible. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Uh, but the. Oh, oh yeah, no, go, go ahead. ahead. No, I was, well, was going to go back to the horse for a second. Go back to the horse. <laughs> okay, so the scene where he he like punches the horse, right? There's like, they're on the raft. He's like, get out of my way. And the horse falls. Yeah. It's a terrible scene to see. Apparently what I read is that was like very elaborately staged and like oh, rehearsed good. with the horse, which makes it a little less awful. But yeah. 
I can sleep at night now. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> um, but speaking of like, just like stillness and soundtrack, let's talk about the actual music, which as you mentioned, it's mm-hmm. by a band called Popol Vuh. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> and uh, I really like it. I, I like it. I like how sparse it is. I like that when it comes in, it really is this kind of like mesmerizing. It adds this quality that's just dreamy. Like I love how it doesn't cut between like the music starts when everyone is like kind of starving. The music starts and then that one guy he who gets shot in the leg uh-huh. with an arrow, he's just kind of like he's hallucinating. And he says like, "Oh, this river isn't here." Like he, and then he, th- he and then he the just ship. gets shot. Yeah, no, yeah. but this is after the ship, right? And he just gets shot, and he goes, "That arrow isn't there." But the music continues. There's no like cue. There's the music doesn't like swell. It doesn't yeah. get like fast. It's just all the same. Yeah, and it's so great. There are a couple. Yeah, it's weird that there's a couple moments of humor towards the end, and that's one of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it is kind of funny. But it yeah. is it is also very on theme. Yeah, yeah. Like it's not it's not out of place. No. But I'm also glad there's not like more humor than what's yes, there. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The long arrows have become fashionable. It's hilarious. Yeah. It is a very it's a very dreamy movie. It does kind of lull you. It's funny because we talked about Memoria at the beginning. And while Memoria is a totally different type of uh hypnotic, they're they're still both hypnotic. And I think this movie again kind of lulls you into the sense of like a dream. But but it's also very real and it's also just surrounded with death it's a balancing act yeah and it's it's perfect at everything that it does yeah um what about the ship in the sky i love it i love it too i think but did coppola use that for apocalypse now i'm trying to remember if there's a ship in the trees it's been a a couple years since i've seen it but it sounds familiar but i don't maybe i can't pinpoint exactly but yeah coppola this was uh, you know coppola will be the first to tell you apocalypse now was majorly influenced by well obviously it's an adaptation of heart of darkness mm-hmm. but it's also Aguirre. yeah it really is um but i will say we're getting to apocalypse now it's on the list we'll get to it in however many episodes but there's something about me you know when i was younger i it was all about coppola's vision uh with you know huge performances and loud soundtrack and stuff and crazy colors and smoke the older I get, Aguirre is just more my speed. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I've only seen I, Aguirre once, but I like it more than Apocalypse. Yeah, now. I think I, I, you know, I think that's what I'm trying to say. Again, they're they're different movies, kind yeah. of, but they cut. They there's a lot of crossover, and they do cover a lot of similar themes. They're done sort of similar styles, and I will say for my money that I think I prefer Aguirre. Also, I do too, and I think it does. I think it does psychology better. I think Aguirre is. M- better at being this like psychological drama Mm. than apocalypse now is yeah because it's more low-key like i i think that's the key i think the fact that it is minimalist and the fact that all you have are these characters and what's going on in their mind like i think that's really important with apocalypse now it is pretty loud and these huge performances and well it's loud but there's also a long stretch with like them the on, on the boat yeah but then they get attacked and it's like crying and holding them like cradling and like explosions well there's and... there's more humanity in apocalypse now i suppose uh, in the sense that they're more like they're, they're better people <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah that's true that's true can i just say how terrified i am of like any like <laughs> any time between like i don't know 1 ad until like maybe 17 
1750s like anything in between that i am terrified like can you imagine how much it sucked living in that time any like in that entire yeah span of time it was just bad why did anybody sign up to go on this journey anyway bad bad <laughs> can you imagine i can't imagine living in 1560 like that sounds no. so awful imagine too the so on the raft they have like this makeshift bathroom that i'm sure just I smells saw, terrible I, I would be so afraid to go in there but <laughs> like why weren't they just going over the side of the there must have been like like a hole in that bathroom yeah, that was just going i guess it was just for privacy down still that's gross it's so bad <laughs> Oh, and then can we just talk about the narration? I love how yeah. you you see something that's like kind of obscure, maybe, or like you don't fully understand what you've just seen, and then the narration comes in, yeah, to give you like details and clarity. I love that. Yeah, it's it's used sparingly and it's used well, and I love that it's from the father's point of view. Yeah, even though he sucks. Yeah, but it adds because he's like the record keeper, right? Exactly. For the trip. It's yeah, yeah, it's almost like a documentary. Yeah. Um. It really does lend to the like slow, dreamy atmosphere, though. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I agree. Do you want to do uh, favorite sight and sound? Yeah, I think we have the same favorite sight. I think we do too. It's gotta be. It's <laughs> the like one of the first shots in the movie where you see the caravan. It's the yep. moving shot. It's the big tilt. It's the tilt. Yes. So you start at the top. It's funny because Machu Picchu is right there, and uh, in the documentary. Uh, Herzog talks about Kinski throwing a fit because he wanted Herzog to frame Machu Picchu in the shot. And Herzog's like, this isn't a postcard. We're making a film. This is not that kind of movie. I'm not going to use this money shot just for the sake of it. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it's that long caravan. There's just, again, you don't see images like this in movies now because it's all these people and it's kind of a a rocky path. Like it doesn't look super safe. Um, but yeah, it's this long, it's this very slow tilt down the mountain. Beautiful. You, what I love about it too is you see people way in the background, and then as you tilt down, people are closer and closer. Yes, to the yes. Beautiful. It shot. is. It oh is. my god. It is gorgeous. <laughs> yeah. How could it be anything? But exactly. That? Exactly. What about um, sound? Sound is actually one of those moment of moments of silence. Oh. But there's like the bird noises. I'll play it for you. It's when they first get on the rafts. Um, and I think I was just blown away at how little drama there was. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, it's just so still. It's like, it's not melodrama. Yeah, that's yeah. what, it, yeah. Yeah. No one's talking. It's definitely selling our whole Jungle Cruise theme for the episode. I know. (laughs) I know. Apparently, did you know that Aguirre makes an appearance in the new Jungle Cruise movie with Emily Blunt and... Oh, wait, you're being serious. Yes. I thought you were telling a joke. No, no, no. I'm sure it's like the the spirit of Aguirre. It makes an appearance. What? Yeah. Like he's a character in the movie. Wait, wait. Really? That's what I read online. I believe you. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> cool. What's your favorite sound? It was between two. In fact, even as of now, I don't know. I'll just do both. They're both really short. Uh, the first one is just the flute player. I love the flute. 
So yeah, that's one of them. And again, the film is dedicated to that man. The other one is just so there's two main parts of the score. When you first there's that sort of droning ah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then there's like a sort of guitar part. And that the other my other sight or my sorry my other sound is that guitar part that appears yes. a bunch throughout the yes the film. that late 60s early 70s guitar sound that i love so much (laughs) yeah and it's also funny i noticed that the credits stop at one point someone says something like one of the guys like he says something about crossing the river and then it starts up again and that's when your music comes in yes like it starts with like director of photography Mm -hmm. and then the credits just start again yeah it's interesting i dig it i dig it too uh what does pauline say pauline so this is a segment we do called pauline says where we read pauline kale's review of the film in this case strangely enough i could not find a review for this film so i don't know that pauline kale actually reviewed aguirre but she did review Fitzcarraldo, a later herzog kinski collab and she mentions aguirre in it so i will i will just read the sentence so she's talking about Fitzcarraldo here but she does say The biggest disappointment in this epic written and directed by Werner Herzog is Peru. After a visually promising beginning, Herzog seems to lose interest in the external world. um, And no one in this movie has much of an internal world either. Though the shots are lovely, they're held too long and they don't have the ghostly kinky expressiveness of the great images that sustain me, that sustain one through the dragginess of Aguirre, the wrath of God. So... We know at least that she thought Aguirre was better than Fitzcarraldo. Did she like she, Fitzcarraldo at all? No, no. It sounds <laughs> like she didn't really like it. Um, and it's hard to tell. It sounds like she liked Aguirre more, but it's still hard to tell if she really liked Aguirre mm-hmm. or if she just liked the imagery. I'm surprising because it did become this like pretty popular art movie in New York. Which like one? Aguirre. I'm, yeah. I'm surprised she doesn't have a I'm really surprised. Review. I really dug. You know, I have... Most of Pauline's books, the ones that cover this period, couldn't find it there, couldn't find it online. So as far as I know, again, don't take me 100% for this, but I could not find a Pauline Kale review wow. for Aguirre. Wow. Um, also, I think, too, Aguirre's 90 minutes and her negative review of Fitzcarraldo is almost three hours long. No. Are yeah. you serious? So I think that kind of has, I think that plays into it, too. So maybe she was just like, oh, at least Aguirre is merciful because it's like half the length. Yeah. <laughs> but... Yeah. Well, that being said. Well, since we didn't get anything from Pauline, yeah, no, we Pauline. will turn to the people and read some letterbox reviews. So this one's great. This is uh, four and a half stars. A bunch of idiots go to South America and pack the wrong clothes. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, half a star. Probably the most underwhelming and tedious adventure movie I've ever seen. The scenery was great, though. <laughs> half a star it was really slow paced that's it (laughs) one star that's one german ass movie (laughs) i saw that one no that was one of mine oh i love that one oh i do love this one one star never taking a film class again (laughs) (laughs) um here's one that's half a star this was dot 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 
awful, dreadfully slow, and the dubbing was distracting. I felt like I was watching a movie made for $20 for some kid's school project. <laughs> See, that's horrific to me that you can't appreciate the... Like, yeah, this movie kind of has a... I wouldn't say it doesn't have a lo-fi quality, but it definitely has. I think they're just mistaking the minimalism for cheapness. There's a part where like water gets on the lens, but it's like it's fine. Like they're on the the, river. It adds to the experience. Yeah, makes it feel more earthy and tactile. Yeah. This, This person gave it one star and said, "Painfully boring. I could barely sit through it. It was also distinctly uninteresting in its directorial style, though I've heard nothing but great things about Herzog." I also thought that the actors were incredibly lazy in their performances and the stylistic choices were a bit awkward and didn't quite land very well. Mm. I hate that my introduction of Herzog is through such a shitty film. I really hope I'd be able to look past this in the future, though. There's no guarantee the subconscious of my mind will ever forgive him (laughs) for this mess. See, again, saying uninteresting directorial style, saying the actors are lazy. This is a person that is looking for what? Like um, a big tarantino film or something like they're looking for big bold stylistic choices they're looking for De Palma. they're looking for like heath ledger as the joker like guys <laughs> okay, now you're just being mean there's i just can't stand the people who who cannot find or they think that it's boring if a movie is is more naturalistic and like more subdued yeah like uh, yeah. this movie has a very distinct directorial style i agree um one start I don't get how it's a masterpiece, but okay. This looks like a student film. The imagery is really low budget, and the cinematographer is definitely volunteered because it just looked so amateur. Oh my god. These like, people. What? It looks beautiful. It really, really like is objectively beautiful. I would love to see that person go out and try to shoot this movie. And then they wrote, um, how is this a visual masterpiece? And someone said the score is amazing. Seriously? It's just two songs over and over again with some ambient sounds. Oh, my God. No patience. <laughs> no patience. Uh, last one for me. A star and a half. <laughs> Basically, the art house version of Anaconda, but with less <laughs> sequel potential. <laughs> Except this one doesn't have John Voight with a Spanish accent or whatever he's doing oh in Anaconda. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Two stars is my last one. Um, Film two of my one movie per year marathon. (laughs) I don't get it, but okay. I'm still laughing at the fact that they thought two people paddling had any impact whatsoever on those big ass rafts. (laughs) It does when the river's calm. Yeah. I love how like unpredictable the river is and but they were like actually shooting on the river like that is crazy they got like production was a genuine nightmare because you know the water would rise and fall and their their stuff would actually get washed away and people were miserable and people were sleeping in huts actually herzog talks in that documentary about living in a hut for the first part of production for this or maybe it was during pre-production and he lived with this woman that had like 150 like um hamsters or something and he he slept on the floor he's like at night the hamsters would or they were guinea pigs he'd be like the guinea pigs would just crawl all over me so i had to like move to this barn and then he talks about the train leaving for the first day of shooting and they forgot to wake up herzog and so he was like running in his bare feet across like this these rocks to get on the train he cut his feet up and everything see herzog comes from a very old school physical 
mode of filmmaking where you sacrifice yourself, your your emotional well being, your physical well being for your art. Listen, only five weeks. It was a five. Yeah, it was a five week shoot. Like, yeah. That's short. Yeah, yeah. He teaches a film school or a film course where he doesn't teach like theory or anything. He just teaches you practical stuff. So he teaches you how to like fake an ID. He tells you how to pick locks. What? Yeah. Well, that's yeah, the man stole a camera. He comes from that gorilla school. You that's know? so funny. Yeah. I kind of love it. He's the real deal, you know? He is the real deal. Yeah, yeah, that's that's funny. But it just goes to show, like, people always talk about how hard it is to make a movie nowadays and how expensive it is and how you'll never get the money to make a movie. But it's like, look at these guys. Yeah. Look at what they did. Like, them, French New Wave, every, like... It is possible. It can be done. You just have to risk your sanity and your, <laughs> and your life. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I think there's a way to be smart about it, but you don't need a $100,000 budget for craft services. Like, no. you don't. But you also need to feed your people good Three food. meals a day, yes, yeah, and, and some snacks, but you don't need green juices. You don't need any of that shit. You don't need it, but you also can't do like a Little Caesars pizza, because I hate when people do that. <laughs> when you show up and they're like, oh, thanks for helping. Here's a Little Caesars. And you're no. like, come on. No, there's a way to be classy about it. Yes. There's a way <laughs> There's a way to do it with class. That's all is, I'm saying. That is one of them. Honestly, I think I'm guilty in like past shoots of like overdoing it on the food of like stuff that's a little bit nicer, just because... I feel like if people are there for free, you know, uh, although have in this, good yeah. hot meals. Yes. Yeah. You know, you have to treat people well with food, at least. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, this has been really fun. I love this movie. Yes. Me good too. find. Good find. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. What's next week? Next week, we are doing a movie called La Talente by Jean Vigo from uh, 1934. It is number 12 on the list. This is another, uh, it's a big deal. The movie's a big deal. Although I, I, you know what? I don't think, I think I've seen part of it. I have not seen the whole movie. Even though it's a short film. I think it's like an hour long. But this will be like basically a first time watch for me. For you you too? Yes. Yeah. You should join us next week. It's it's a short film. yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Give it a listen. Thanks for joining us this week for Aguirre, The Wrath of God. I feel like this was, you know, it's our 25th episode. We're doing Herzog. 25th. This was a this was a fun one. I like this one. It was fun. It yeah. was great. Now we're just gonna play some noises from the jungle for your your listening pleasure. Enjoy um, the silence. We'll see you next week. This has been an official podcast of the Arroyo Film Club. Seen and heard is Jacqueline Pastagian and Greg Kleinschmidt. Theme music by Andrew Cox. You can find us at seenandheardpod.com.